Father, we are so grateful that we have this day to just rest, exhale, be together as your people, and to hear from your word what you would have for each and every one of us on our journeys with you. And so, Lord, as we dive into this great topic of the new birth, be glorified in our midst, and as we've just sung May you reveal yourself in powerful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we again, once again, we welcome you here in our journey this fall through the first letter of Peter to this group of churches, as we learned last week, that is undergoing fierce persecution. Persecution, much worse than what we're going through, but I don't know about you, it just feels different than it did 5, 10, 15 40, 50 years ago. And so therefore, because of that, we're walking through this letter that I pray will bless your soul immensely as we walk together at Christ Church. We only saw that uh, the letter is written to this dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia because this is a church which is being persecuted just for what they believe, what we believe. This region of what is now modern-day Turkey, what they believe is illegal. <laughs> and therefore, the church is starting to feel the heat all over the Roman Empire. And Peter ends this text with asking the Lord to bring grace and peace to multiply upon them. Grace, God's unmerited favor, and his peace in their circumstances. And so, as he wraps up that famous greeting, he then introduces the rest of his letter with this wonderful phrase, blessed be the Lord. But he doesn't just say blessed be the Lord. His Jewish readers in that region that are, I'm sure are part of this church, is probably a mixed bag of Jewish and Gentile believers. It's mostly Gentiles, but I'm sure there's some Jews in there. So Peter invokes this blessing, which was said in the daily office of the Jewish synagogue. Oh, 54 times a day. Blessed be thou, O Lord. He brings this blessing first right off the bat. Notice, and it's significant, before he does anything else, he pronounces a blessing upon God. He, he doesn't immediately write about the difficulties that this church is finding themselves in. There'll be time for that. He doesn't tell them how they should conduct themselves in the midst of such persecution. There will be time for that. What he does is he calls his readers to make a decided and determined prayer of praise according to the ancient Jewish custom. But he doesn't stop with, blessed be thou, O Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God as he is revealed. No matter what circumstances we're going to, if we will say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will find ourselves focused. We will find our hearts soaring. It will reset our priorities, and it does grant peace if we remember to bless the Lord, bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately after that introduction, he gets right down to why we should bless the Lord. In verse 3, why? 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again. Hmm. That's an interesting phrase. Filled with all kinds of stereotypes and connotations, right? Well, let's, let's unpack it. If you have a watch, take a look at it. Just a second. Just a second. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> you see, the, is the digital watch, the seconds are ticking. If you have a, a, a second watch, you see it going. You see the outworkings of the watch, but what you're not seeing is the intricacies of the electronic impulses inside of it. If it's old school, like Bob's watch, it's still got wheels and turning and turning and turning. That's what it's like when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. God has been at work. Behind the scenes, opening your mind, warming your heart. You know, bringing new life to your soul. The Bible calls this inner transformation the new birth, and that's the very first thing Peter wants this church and you to know. He doesn't say in his great mercy he's given some of us a particular experience. He says, blessed be the God and Father of, our Lord, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us, us, we. That means anybody who's a Christian, he's assuming, has experienced this new birth. Peter's writing about it. John also writes about it. Paul writes about it. James writes about it. All these writers, which is pretty much the entire New Testament, you know, say if you're a Christian at all, Christian at all, you must be born again. And the reason I say this is a stereotype or a connotation of a type of Christian is because that's what we think of. We think of a particular kind of Christian when we say a born again Christian, a particular conservative kind of Christian, a particularly emotional kind of Christian, or somebody who's had a dramatic conversion experience. But this shows us that this is not something for certain kinds of people or certain temperaments, or for certain stripes of Christians. What Peter is saying is, as Jesus says, if you want to be a Christian, you must be born again. And the person who stresses this the most is Jesus himself. You're familiar with the passage, John chapter 3. The Pharisee Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night to talk with Jesus. This Nicodemus, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. That means he's very successful. He knows the Bible inside and out. He's a pillar of the community. He's a moral example par excellence. And yet, he's completely observant in all the ways of the Lord. But what's different about Nicodemus as compared to his colleagues is that he's open to Jesus. The rest of the Pharisees and the Sadducees were totally unimpressed with Jesus' credentials because he didn't have any. He's a carpenter from Nazareth. But so here's Jesus, this young rabbi, beginning his ministry, going around, proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing and loves to hang around with sinners Right? Nicodemus was interested in him. The Pharisees were not. 
And so Nicodemus comes respectfully and says, calls him rabbi. We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do what these signs you do unless God is with him, Nicodemus says. So let's just admit, Nicodemus is a good man. You know, he, in America today, he'd be head of the Kiwanis, you know. He'd have great respect in the community. He's probably running the Little League, you know. He's a member of Vestry. He's the senior warden. Plus, he knows the Bible inside and out. This is a good guy. He's open to Jesus. What more could you ask for? So he comes to Jesus and said, let's talk about the kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? You will not see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. He doesn't say to Nicodemus, well, Nick, you know, we just got, you're almost there. We just got a little more spiritual supplements to, to finish you off so that you're, you're good. No, Jesus says you must be born again. You have to start over. You have to be completely converted. Nothing you've done counts at all. You have to start out as a spiritual baby. So what does that mean? If Nicodemus has to be born again, that means everybody has to be born again. When Jesus says, you must be born again, and when Peter says, we need a new birth, it's not a call to morality. It's not a call to religiosity. It's not a call to be confirmed. It's saying to a guy like Nicodemus, all that isn't what's most important. You must be born again. It's, it's an absolute necessity for each and every one of us in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter your type. It doesn't matter your party that you vote for. It doesn't matter what type, stripe of person you are, ethnicity or temperament. You must be born again. Do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? That's the message of, of the New Testament, brothers and sisters. So, what happens when we're born again? Well, let's look at it so we can test ourselves and make sure we got it. When you're born again, the first thing that happens to us is we have a new disposition. In other words, God created you as you with some hard wirings, which are you. He created you with your own personality, temperament, abilities. And it's important for you to understand that, that the new birth does not violate what God has made. For example, if you're a half glass empty Eeyore type, Kim calls that a realist, all right? All right? And you, if you're that type of person and you're a sinner, when you come to faith in new Christ and you have the new birth, you're a half glass empty Eeyore type realist Christian. When you're a half glass full Tigger type optimist, sinner, you come to faith in Christ, you're still a half glass full Tigger type optimist Christian, all right? You're an introvert sinner becoming an introvert Christian. You're an extrovert sinner becoming an extrovert Christian. The new creation does not contradict the old creation. 
It does not reverse what he's already done. The Holy Spirit will, however, help you master your own temperament. He does give you the power to overcome the effects of sin, pride, anger, greed. But God will not overwrite his hard wiring in you. He redeems his work by giving you a new disposition. That's what happened to Peter. I mean, here was this person with foot and mouth disease who constantly, you know, got in trouble with Jesus, but yet shined amazingly in so many ways. And yet his passion moved him with a whole new direction to where he preached the most powerful sermon in Acts chapter 2. Go back this afternoon and read it. Peter's passion became great boldness to be used for God. Thomas wasn't like that. Thomas was an intellectual, a thinker, a questioner. They were completely different people. They were completely different people before they met Christ, and they were completely different people after they met Christ. And I have met people that resist fully following Jesus won't get into a small group. They won't go deeper in their faith with Christ. They won't do anything because they don't want to be like them. They don't want to be that church lady. They don't want to be Ned Flanders from Family Guy. They don't want to be that, that weird family down the street that's always happy. Right? You know what I'm talking about. That's some of you. Right? Right? Relax. God never intended you to spend your life trying to be someone else. God's created you. Every person reflects a unique angle of the glory of God. He's made us all in his image, and yet he has never made two of us exactly the same. And in the new birth, God takes your unique individuality and gives you a new disposition so that you can begin to live for his glory and not yours. There's no other Christian on the face of the planet like you. That's the first thing the new birth gives us. The second thing the new birth gives us are new tastes. For example, dogs eat dog food. Cats eat cat food. We don't care for either because it's not in our nature, right? And so the principle is simple. Cats have a taste for what cats love. Dogs have a taste for what dogs love. Sinners have a taste for what sinners love. And those who have been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ have a taste for what Jesus loves. This does not mean that our old tastes disappear when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We live this Christian life in the flesh, and so we often find ourselves drawn to things that displease God. But these are not the deepest longings of your heart. Through the new birth, God creates a new desire within you to know him and to please him and to follow him wholeheartedly. So many people turn away from Christianity because they think it's about imposing a set of rules on a person's life. And I'm so grateful that's not what the Christian life is. In the new birth, God creates a deep longing in you to live a new kind of life. Real freedom is found there. And what you most desire turns out to be exactly what God commands. 
You've heard me say it often. When you start to follow Christ, you find yourself loving what you used to hate and hating what you used to love. It gives you new tastes. And it's not learned overnight. It comes over time, slowly but surely. Third thing the new birth gives you is a new ability. Nature determines ability as well as our tastes. You know, dogs can't fly. It's not in their nature. Fish can't walk. It's not in their nature. In the same way, sinners can't live in the presence of God or obey the laws of God because it's not in their nature. That used to be you and me. But in Jesus Christ, when we were born again, God's spirit was poured into our hearts giving us a new birth and giving you not only the desire to live a new life, but also the ability. If your faith rested on a decision or a commitment that you made, the Christian life would be absolutely impossible. You'd be in the same position as the people in the Old Testament who were very sincere in their intentions to live with God, but were completely naive about their ability to do so. But you, having received Jesus as Savior and Lord, have the Holy Spirit living within you, has the power to live unto him and for his glory. You've been reborn. You've been given a new disposition, a new taste, new ability. And now there are those who have difficulty with this whole understanding of being born again because they can't remember that particular moment when they made a decision for Christ. It's crucial to understand that a person's salvation comes through that person placing their whole trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for them upon the cross, alone, for their salvation. It doesn't come through a clear remembrance of when that time was, necessarily. You may remember, but you may not. I would encourage those people who that's their story. I don't remember when I was born. But I know I was born. Here I am. <laughs> I exist. Sorry. <laughs> you know? But the evidence that I was born is that I'm still alive. And it's the same thing with being born again in Christ. You're here. You believe it. You trust it. And the evidence of a person being born again is that you're striving to live this new life. You recognize that you have a new disposition. You have new tastes now. You're growing in those. You have new ability as evidence that you've been born again. It's no wonder Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've been born again into this. Well, what have we been born again into? A living hope. When you're a follower of Christ, you have a hope that's alive, brothers and sisters. It's a living hope that's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As sure as Jesus has risen from the dead, you have this hope right now, forever. Because it's not based on your performance. It's based on his performance from the cross, and he rose from the dead, and it's a historical fact. That's what Peter's trying to get across to us. And so we might question, you know, 
never underestimate the greatest miracle of all is that he's changed my hard heart into a soft heart for him. So it does beg the question, why me? Why? Well, it's according to his great mercy, Peter says. Birth is something that just happens to you, and we didn't contribute anything to it at all. God did not breathe new life into you because you were more impressive than someone else. It was all due to his mercy. If that was the case, we could take some credit for our salvation, but as it is, we can't. And so, therefore, because he's warmed our hearts, called us to himself, and we have a new taste, new appetite, new power, God's been merciful to us. And may that truth spring us to worship him today. If you think being a Christian is about merely church attendance or taking communion or saying a prayer at Young Life Camp in 1965, you're missing the point. Okay? God's at work in you. He's giving you a new life, a new beginning. Let's walk in that together. Because it's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But notice, he doesn't stop there. In verse 4, he says, you've been given an inheritance. It's imperishable, meaning it cannot be destroyed. The inheritance is undefiled, which means it's pure. And it's unfading. Not like that cotton t-shirt you're saving on. Guys, just throw it away. It's not worth it anymore. <laughs> right? In Christ, we have a righteousness which is never fading. It's like that Maryland sweatshirt that just never fades. Kimmy threw it away. She wouldn't let me wear it anymore because it was so tattered. And I said, oh, one day I'm going to get a new one in eternity. And it's never going to fade. Maryland. 4-0, baby. Fear the turtle. <laughs> Paul, Peter's trying to get across to you this, this inheritance. All that you have right now in the kingdom will never fade. It cannot be destroyed. That's what you have in Christ. And he doesn't stop there. So in this, it's being held by God's power. These things are being guarded by God for you, for salvation, ready to be revealed when he comes again. When we get a new heaven, a new earth, and a new body that's unperishable undefiled, unfading, forever. Walking in Christ is like a fall morning. No humidity anymore. Right? Right? You know, it's cool, but yet you can feel the warm sunshine coming through the windows. That's just a glimpse of what we got in our future, my friends. And that's the hope we have in Christ spiritually. But there will come a day where that will last forever. Let's walk in that reality together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the new life you've given us in Jesus. And as we've examined ourselves this morning, recognizing that this new birth that indeed does give us new dispositions, 
new tastes, new abilities that we never thought we could ever do but find ourselves wanting to do. Lord, thank you for pouring out that Holy Spirit upon us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for changing our hearts, awakening our minds and our eyes of our hearts to who you are. And what we have cannot be destroyed. It's absolutely pure and perfect and will never fade away. And you're keeping it for us. That one day you'll be fully revealed for each and every one of us. And I pray that if, if any of us are struggling with this reality, they would recognize that it's not about being perfect Christians, about simply trusting you, not only for our salvation, but for our present day. As you illumine our steps and we can walk with you with grace and truth and peace. May we be such people of peace so that we can be a blessing no matter where we're found. First, in our families. Second, in our church family. And third, in the world in which we live. So that you be glorified in us as a people, Lord God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.